Hi, this is Pastor Tim Crick, and you are listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, a part of the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us online at www.htelc.com. We worship on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m., where you are never too late and there is always room for one more. We hope you can join us sometime, and we hope you find the sermon you're about to listen to helps you to understand and experience the depths of God's love for you and the entire world. Thanks for listening. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 20, verses 27 through 38. Glory to you, O Lord. Some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married. And so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the women also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God not of the dead, but of the living. For to him all of them are alive. Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, o Christ. You may be seated. How many of people are happy that this biblical view of marriage is not practiced here today? Right? So, uh, we've talked about this before. I'm going to give you another quiz to you if you remember. When I talk about reading the scripture, what are the three more important rules that you always need to remember? Context, context. All right, about a quarter of you remembered. <laughs> I'm going to say a quarter of you were just shy, didn't want to speak out loud. Um, and I'm going to say the other half weren't here when I've talked about it before in the past. So you didn't know the answer. That's okay. Context, 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 right? We say the three most important rules in real estate. Three most important rules of um, reading scripture. Context, context, context. And so I want to start off this morning talking about two ways to look at the context of the scripture to help us understand what it means for us today. Because you read this, and how many people were confused about it? Right? What does this have to do with anything? So two ways to look at the context. One, you look at it, and this actually goes back a bit of you were here when uh, Pastor Alice Carlerick spoke about how we read the Bible, and she talked about a triangle and within a circle, within a square, and that triangle is what the author was trying to convey to the people who were hearing it for the first time, right? That aspect of context, and I think even within this, you can break that context down into two ways. One, you have the actual conversation that this is uh, trying to convey a conversation between the Sadducees and Jesus. 
the Sadducees had questions. And that prompts this conversation. So you have that context. But was this written down immediately as that conversation occurred? Luke was written, probably most scholars think, about 70 A.D., so maybe 35 years after the time of Christ. And then you have the context of what potentially might be going on at the time in which it was written down and passed on. Because there are a whole lot of stories about Jesus, right, that we don't know about. And so people had to go through and say, what ones do we pass on? How do we make that decision? And so then you have the context of why this story to those people 35 years or so after Jesus has died, why was this story selected to be passed on? Does that make sense? So you have Sadducees and Jesus, that conversation, why did the Sadducees ask the question to begin with? And what was going on 35 years after Jesus has died and risen? Why do those people need to hear this story? Now you can actually bring a third context in, and that is what does it mean for us today? So buckle up, we got about 45 minutes to get through all that. Now, first the Sadducees. The irony about this question from the Sadducees is, and it says in here, they didn't believe in the resurrection. The way I always remember this, they were sad, you see. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Sad, you see. Now, I know. Ouch. <laughs> Frank really liked that one, didn't he? He's still over there laughing. Or maybe Rebecca just said something. Sadducees, not only didn't they believe in the resurrection, they pretty much had given up hope. Life is just the way it is. They're under Roman oppression. There's nothing you can do about it, so just deal with it. It will end whenever it ends. Okay? And they don't believe in the resurrection, which is why it sparks this question about who is this woman married to? Because the way the Sadducees continue to live on eternally was through having kids. Particularly not just any kids, but what did you need to have? Sons. And so the way you continued on living, because you weren't going to, was by having children, specifically sons. So now we have Jesus. Train of thought is there is a resurrection. There is a resurrection. So there, whenever people have a question of Jesus, what are, always, what are they always trying to do? Trick him, right? How do we play that got, get that gotcha moment in there? So if there's a resurrection, it must just be a continuation of this life, right? So things just continue on forever is what they're really trying to get Jesus to say. Talk more about this because it, right? Just a continuation on, and we know if it's just a continuation on, then you've got this conundrum. Who is this woman married to? If she would have had kids, situation problem solved. But they're always kind of come up with, oh, what if? What if, right? So that's where their question comes in. What if? Trying to play this got you moment. Then we have the context of the people of the time 35 years afterwards. Jesus has died. 
He is raised. He has come back. We have stories about Jesus interacting with other people. And then he ascended and he's gone. Now, there was thought of a resurrection in the time of Jesus, and it is going to be a day in the future, the day of the resurrection. It was not immediate. No one expected the tomb to be empty. It was not thought. Yes, there's a resurrection, but it's not immediate. It is some point in the future. And Jesus came back. So if this is 35 years after Jesus born, raised, and died, and let's, I believe life expectancy is about 35 years at that time, what are people starting to wonder? What happens when you die? die? Anybody ever asked that question? <coughs> what happens when here are these people that we love? There's supposed to be a resurrection. That resurrection is some point in the future, but Jesus came back early, so why isn't that happening? Why don't we have these stories of these loved ones now among us in which we get to see them again potentially here just for a bit? What happens when you die? That is their question of that day. And I think that's a legitimate question for us today. We all know people who have died, right? That we've loved, that we've lost, that we wonder what is going on next. We just had last Sunday, it was All Saints Sunday, which you were able to come up and light a candle for those people whom you've loved and lost. What happened? Here's the Lutheran answer that I think Jesus is getting at also. Those who are baptized, right? Faith, saved by grace through faith. You rest with God in a new way. Otherwise, it's not our question. It's not our, our job to try and answer that question. God's going to do what God's going to do. And our hope is all people are saved. My personal thought is all people are saved because there's a whole lot of reasons why people don't believe in God, and I think very few of them have to do with Jesus. Would you agree with that? They do with those of us who are bold enough to think we can speak for God. And they think if that's what God is like, no faith. So I think it's more of a rejection of those of us who speak for God than it is actually of God revealed in Jesus himself. So I'm not worried about what happens to other people. I'm not God. And here is Jesus' answer. He's God of the living, not God of the dead. Meaning, in Christ, you are already alive. There is nothing you need to do, such as marry or have kids, to continue on into the future, to bring life to the world. God in Christ alone brings life. And that doesn't happen at some point in the future. Somehow, mysteriously, we experience it now, in and through each other. One of the great misconceptions of Christianity is that our faith is about life after death. A much more realistic and true understanding of Christianity is it's not about life after death, it's about life before death. 
that make sense? We are not in a waiting room just waiting for Jesus to return so we can leave this place that is being destroyed and we can go live in some ethereal spiritual body off somewhere else. The hope and promise of the resurrection is that somehow there is a physical aspect to it. The Bible ends in Revelation 21, a new heaven and a new earth. The old has passed away. If you want to ask me what that's like, I'm clueless. But our hope is not just our souls go somewhere as if everything physical is bad, but there is a total physical restoration of the cosmos. All that is old is gone, the new has come. How, when, where that occurs, I have no clue. But our hope isn't that our life begins sometime after we die. But in Christ, our true life begins now, here, today. Maybe I can tie it into our children's sermon. I wasn't planning on doing this. Right? But if we truly live, it means we don't have to be fake, correct? We don't have to put on the face that is just so exhausting, to be honest. It might appear we think it's easier. So I'll put the picture on Facebook or on Instagram, or somebody asks how I'm doing. I'm doing great. Let me tell you all about my kids' or grandkids' successes and achievements. When inside, we're dying and because we know that just isn't the case. That's not to say everything is bad, but that's only part of the story. And true living isn't only acknowledging part of the story. True living is acknowledging the entire story. And understanding, despite the entire story, you are loved. You are accepted. You are truly alive because God is God of the living not of the dead, the inanimate, of what just remains a rock, right? But instead we live, we breathe, we grow, we change, we understand. Understand that it's nothing that we do that furthers our line on down the road, whether it's marriage, or kids, bank accounts, what God has done. And then we use what God has done, the gifts that we have, to truly live in this life and we remove that mask. We acknowledge who we are. We acknowledge who we're not. And we give thanks for it. Amen. That's the sermon for this week. We hope from it you learned a bit more about God's love for you and the world. Please subscribe and rate our podcast to help us be found by and reach more people. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, you are loved.